Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. If you would like to give me your questions, your comments, your insights, you sure can. I have all my contact links in the description of this show. And you can also call the listener hotline, 303 832 0217 and if you wouldn't mind rating the show on whatever platform you're listening uh and let me know i i i sure would appreciate it well my kids they get a week-long break in october and, and it's a it's a week it's a school they call it october break from school and since my wife is now a full-time school teacher she also had this week-long october break so naturally I wanted to take some time off during the October break, uh, and I wanted the whole week, but uh, but everybody else who works on our morning show has kids, some of them in the same school district uh, with me, so we all have the same October break. So e- even though I wanted the Monday through Friday off, I um, had to uh, uh, finagle my way to get Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off. See, uh, all right, see, see, here's here's the deal. uh, My in-laws wanted to take the family for October break to Las Vegas. They said they would buy the hotel if if we would buy the flights, and then we would, of course, have to pay for our own meals and entertainment and that sort of thing. But they would buy the rooms, and and then we would buy all the other stuff. And and originally, I didn't have my days off approved. But the in-laws wanted to go anyway, so they say, we're doing this, and this is the way it is, and so buy all your stuff, and we don't really care. So that's okay, fine. Uh, it, 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 was it a bit of a gamble to buy the airplane tickets and to make arrangements to go out to Las Vegas before I had officially the time off of work? Yes, uh, it was a bit of a gamble, but I'm a gambling man. <laughs> we were going to Las Vegas, so why not take a little gamble? Well, the funny thing is that about the week before the trip was supposed to happen, the assistant news director at the station who handles all the schedules said, that uh, she wanted to give us all some time off. And she went through the list of who had requested days off for October break. And she went by who requested the days off earliest. Well, apparently Nicole, who is one of the morning anchors and myself, were the latest ones. And so uh, she asked if if I could take off uh, uh, Monday and Tuesday and then work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And <laughs> this is like the nightmare scenario that's happening right now, where normally if, if we didn't have a trip scheduled, then sure, that'd be great. I'll take off Monday and Tuesday and we'd have no problem. But the problem was we had a flight that was leaving on Tuesday morning and I needed Wednesday and Thursday and Friday off where I could actually work on Tuesday and then still make the 11 a.m. flight. Uh, but I needed Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So I, I begged Nicole uh, if we and I explained the situation to her about what was happening, and I, I, I said, Nicole, please, could can we just switch where where you're off Monday and Tuesday, and I have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I, I make you up, make it up to you somehow, uh, some way, whatever. Uh, and she said she, she was nice and gracious enough to say yes, uh, and said yeah, and, and and so all was well again at that point. So the way the flights worked, I was supposed to get on the airplane at eleven o'clock. Uh, and we originally, and I, and I had purchased already, uh, an offsite airport parking at, at a discount. And so, uh, I was thinking, all right, well, I'm going to be at work now on Tuesday morning 
And I, how am I going to get, uh, I, I need to get myself to, to the airport. Am I going to park? Am I going to take the rail system and just leave my car at uh, the TV station? Or, or do my, does my wife come pick me up or whatever? And so we arranged it so uh, my wife could come pick me up. Well, we left right at 9 o'clock, raced to the airport for the 11 a.m. flight. I think that was enough time. I mean, we got to the airport. It only takes about 20 minutes uh, or so. So we parked and get on the shuttle and everything and get over to the airport. We check in uh, and, and get the place because the bags have to be there uh, an hour before. Oh, this is another thing. So, so I bought because we were flying Frontier and you have to buy bags ahead of time. Well, I, I had purchased one check-in bag. And I had purchased one carry-on bag. And we could fit all of our stuff between the four of us into those two bags. And then I was thinking at the airport, I said, well, if I'm just going to check one, I might as well check both of them, right? Isn't that a simple uh, equation? I've done this in the past where they've said, oh, yeah, we'll just take your bag and put it uh, under the airplane, whatever, and, and no harm, no foul. Well, because this is Frontier Airlines and everything has a charge, I said, hey, um, I've already paid for the carry-on bag, which I think is basically the same price as a check-in bag. Uh, could I just give you the bag along with this one that I've paid for to be checked and, and go in, uh, under the plane? Or I guess inside the belly of the plane. If it was under the plane, it wouldn't even be on the plane at all. So I, I, I talked to the nice person there, and, and they said, well, uh, let, me, let me see. And does some figuring there in, in the old computer and says, uh, that'll be $90. <laughs> and I said, seriously? Really? 90 or something like that? And I said, but I already paid for the bag to be on the airplane. And she said, yeah, but you, you, if you wanted to check it, it would, this is how much it would cost. And, and here, here, this is where my wife gets mad at me because in my brain – I'm looking at this person and going, this is why your corporate structure right here is flawed because you are not given the authority or the uh, uh, flexibility as a gay, uh, as a, uh, as a, as a check-in person of bags uh, to just say, sure, that sounds like a great thing. I'll just take your bag and off we go. Right. No harm, no foul. We've already paid the money. That's what the airline wants the money. I've already paid money for it. I wanted a simpler travel option. They don't care. And that's where we are. And so this is where <laughs> I think any other airline, they would have taken the bag and said, sure, no problem. That's, that sounds good. Uh, we'll just check the two bags and boom, off you go. But that was not the case. Um, and so <laughs> I, I take my one bag with me to go carry it onto the airplane. And then they take the other bag and they put it, uh, you know, off it goes through the belly of the airport to never be seen again. Um, and, and, <laughs> there we, and there we are. So anyway, uh, and, and thank goodness for, so you just have to check the bag an hour ahead of time. And then it's, that, that was fine. And then thank goodness for pre-check. I'm telling you, it makes the security so much easier so much faster. You don't take off your shoes. You don't take food out of your bags. You don't take your laptop out of your bags. Uh, I'll, I'll, I did have to take off my belt, but you know my waist at this point is large enough where my pants didn't fall down. Uh, a pre-check has been worth every penny of the, I think it was $100 I paid for it a couple of years ago. And, and I also bought it for the kids too. Even though they said signing my up, I, I think my daughter was 10 at the time. They said when I was signing her up that she didn't need the pre-check if she was flying with with one of us. But I'm telling you, 
it was still worth it to get all of the kids, to get the two kids and get my wife and myself all pre-check and have it done. And we all have our own number. And it is so simple. It is the, it really is $20 a year if, if you're figuring it for, because it lasts for five years. It is so worth it. Pre-check. I'm telling you, it's great. Uh, the flight was fine. Got to the airplane. Everything's fine. Uh, Frontier is the airline we were flying on. So yeah, they were checking the size of people's bags and, and then charging the people who were trying to stuff everything they have into a simple backpack. So it looked more like a balloon than a backpack. You've seen those people where they're trying to stuff. So they carry that because you can bring a backpack as a, a personal item. Uh, but so many people are putting all of their stuff in there. And cramming it so large, it actually ends up being so puffed up that it's bigger than a carry-on bag that they make you pay for. And I think that's like a hundred bucks if you get to the gate and they say, nope, that bag is too big. And they're not going to start jettisoning all their clothes and whatever else they crammed into this bag. So they're paying the hundred bucks. And I think it's 30 bucks more, maybe $35 more than if they bought it beforehand anyway. I hate that about Frontier, but if you if you plan on it and know that they only now have a 40-pound bag limit and the size of their bags that fit in their little metal contraption right there at the gate, then 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 you will be be fine. Uh, the flight was fine. Every time I fly, I'm astounded, though. I, I don't know if you are. I, I'm looking out the window, and I'm astounded as we're at the takeoff and we're just racing down the runway that this contraption can lift off the ground and then eventually cruise at 500 miles an hour at five miles up in the air. It is astounding. And, and it's really also astounding how safe it has become. And I think we're almost in a, uh, a, a, a time where you haven't had an airline accident in the United States for a long, long time. Not saying that it's going to happen. Not saying that I, I never would obviously want it to happen. It would freak so many people out. However, uh, you know, statistics would say it, it it's bound to happen eventually. But think about how how many planes I have. This uh, a service called Flight Aware Twenty Four. No, it's not Flight Aware. It's uh, Flight Radar Twenty Four. And and I pay for a little premium service, not that much, like ten bucks or twelve bucks a year, something like that. But then you could see all the airplanes and see who's flying around, and you could see all the airplanes at any given moment uh, that are flying around the country. It's amazing. Just take a look. You can probably do that on any. Uh, just go flight something and go flight tracker, and you can see all the airplanes that are flying around right now. It is astounding how many planes are flying all the time, and how the, the really the airline industry is really safe. Um, but just looking at this contraption, this craft, this aircraft that can take off land and go, it's just really amazing. It really is. So we arrive in Las Vegas. There's a new terminal building, so much nicer than the old one. And yeah, there are still slot machines there, but you expect that you almost need to see that to know that you're in Las Vegas, right? And, and we weren't renting a car and this was an interesting part. So we, we were usually just take a cab or, or an Uber right to the hotel. But my wife isn't the biggest fan of Uber because uh, she says of the randomness of the rides, because you never know who it's going to be, what, what, what the car will be like on the inside uh, the random smells that you can have in the car, the music that's going to be played, the conversation that the driver is going to give you, right? And, and, and there's that sometimes uncomfortable silence because my wife will not talk in a, at a cab or an Uber. She just won't. She, she, minimal 
at best conversation. And so it it's that uncomfortable feeling, uncomfortable silence, if you will, at times. I'll talk to the driver because I'm usually the one sitting in the front seat because we have the four of us. So the other three are in the back, and then they're just <laughs> just sitting there, not saying anything, staring at the back of my head as I'm talking to the driver, and they're going, just shut up. Just shut up at this point. Don't say anything. We don't need to have you talking to anybody. Just shut up. She is, I don't know why, but she likes almost having a cab ride more than an Uber ride, but it's the exact same experience for the most part, except the Ubers, I think, tend to be better kept vehicles because they are privately owned. Because shared cabs are not going to be taken care of as well as a privately owned car. So I think the Ubers or the Lyfts are going to be a little bit better quality, and sometimes they uh, try to give you, they'll give you a bottle of water, they'll put the music on, whatever you want, that sort of thing. So I, I tend to think that those are a little better. Las Vegas is a whole different contraption because it's all cabs all the time, all all over the place. Um, but I, I still think that privately owned is better than publicly or sheerly owned. Anyway, we take the Uber, but what the interesting part was, instead of in the old days where you would just go to the passenger pickup area and get picked up like if your father-in-law was picking you up at the airport. They have a specifically designed place, pickup area, for Uber and Lyfts at the airport. You have to go to the parking garage. And then on the specific floor, they have you go up to this floor, and then they have these these stall numbers. I, I guess they're like little parking area numbers. And they're all numbered spots. And then the driver, as, as they, get, they get up there, they hit the number spot that they're in, 20 or whatever it is. And then you see that on your app. And then you go meet the driver. And, and because you know what the car looks like and what the license plate is, you pretty much know that that's your car and driver anyway. And then you go out and meet them. It really was easier than I think the old way. Um, and it was it was pretty neat to be able to, to separate it from the regular passenger pickup area because otherwise it would be maddening. And, and there were a lot of people getting the ride shares. And so I think it did help separate uh, that dry, that traffic from the you know arrival departure area from just the people who were uh, going to get a ride share and then head to their uh, wherever they were staying. And we took several Ubers around while uh, during our trip. But since we were staying at the MGA Signature Tower, so not at the... MGM in there in that green hotel. It was just, it was connected to it, but you had to walk a little bit to it. Uh, and we were on the south side of the strip there. And we would just pretty much, we were like two blocks from the strip. So we would just walk over there most of the time and go through the hotels. And, and you know, that thing about Las Vegas is that every hotel, it looks like, hey, it's right over there. Uh, that doesn't look too far. Let's just walk over there. But then you keep walking and walking and walking. And then you're still not there. And then you got to go up this bridge and down the bridge. And then it's like, wait, wait how long have we been walking here? <laughs> and we're still not there. Uh, and one change walking along the strip that I noticed right away, I didn't see the creepy guys or girls that were uh, handing out the flyers for strip clubs or uh, dancers or escorts. You know, they, they, they like click their hand and then they get, then they hand it to you. Right. (laughs) This was going to be my tactic. If they did that, uh, I was going to have a pen with me and then they were going to like, you know, try to hand it to me. I was going to take it, sign it like an autograph and then hand it back to them. (laughs) I I thought that was a funny idea. My, my, my family didn't think it was as funny as I did. Uh, but that, that tends to happen. I, I tend to find things stupid like that, that are funny that, 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 they, 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 they don't. And speaking of that, one night we came out of the Venetian after, after we had dinner 
and, and there's this weird lady with this fake microphone, and, and all of a sudden she see, she comes right up to me, beeline right to me, and says, "We're live on the air. What's your name and and uh, where you where you're from?" And of course I could tell that she was full of it, and and so I used my best fake radio voice. And I and I looked at her. I said, "Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Las Vegas Strip. And we're here with who? Who are you now?" And then she looks at me, right? And she's she's taken aback a bit. And, and she and and, she, <laughs> and I said, "Where is your broadcast crew?" And then she was blinking at me. And then I looked at her. I said, "This is fake. I know this is fake. You're not really broadcasting. I'm in broadcasting, and I know you are not broadcasting right now." And then she gets mad at me, and she starts saying, "You're mean." You're mean. I don't like you. You're mean. I don't like you're mean. And she's walking away. And I was just laughing it off. I was like, you're not broadcasting anywhere. I know. I've done it. I, I still do it. And <laughs> she was just the funniest. And then and then she went after somebody else. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's how she's making her money. I don't know how people are, are paying her for whatever she's doing to them, but it, it, it didn't work on me. And I guess I guess that was mean. Uh, but the biggest difference walking around the Strip was all the activity around the Formula One race that's happening here in a week or so. Uh, many of the streets on and around the Strip are already transformed into the race course. Uh, one, so on Las Vegas Boulevard, it's separated by a median, right? One side, the side that's closest to where Caesars is and Bellagio and, and the New York, New York side, uh, that street, that side of the Las Vegas Boulevard has been paved for for the racetrack while the other side has not been paid yet paved yet or or, or at all and I don't, maybe it won't be it's still the same old crappy pavement it's always been and there are these huge grandstands being built around so when we came out of the signature hotels there's these huge grandstands that are right where the uh, paddock area is going to be and where the pit area is going to be huge grandstands uh, so people can watch the race. And then there's one area where they have these grandstands and these luxury boxes that are being constructed right in front of the Bellagio fountains. So they, they built these, what they, they look like they're permanent uh, suites. Maybe they're semi-permanent um, because there, there's seats there. There's enclosed boxes with glass. It looks really nice, uh, but I can't imagine the Bellagio would want it to be there for, well, uh, Maybe for the because the, the the race contract is supposed to be for ten years, so I can't imagine they want it to sit there for ten years when the race is happening like for one week. Uh, I I would imagine that they would want to at least dismantle it and then reassemble it uh, so they could have access to the fountains again. To see the fountains, you have to go on the Bellagio, so the hotel side, and then you could still see the fountains are are still going. And I guess if you're in those suites, it would look really sweet from those suites to to watch the fountains go. Uh, but I also hear that the tickets for those suites are like $10,000 for the weekend. So <laughs> I, I guess you would enjoy the view for $10,000 for the weekend. Um, just a little bit outside of my price range. I, I would, you know, if it was a couple thousand less, maybe, um, uh, the, <laughs> the other thing the race setup does, it, it makes it pretty tough to get around, uh, on the roadways and traffic is much worse. That's all the Uber drivers, the cab drivers, they, they wanted to complain about it and how bad the traffic was uh, and, and, and that the road was that this road was closed or that road is closed or this one's blocked off right now. And, and they usually they're not because it's mostly their their shortcuts and workarounds 
to stay off of the Las Vegas Boulevard, the main strip road. Uh, they go cut between and behind the casinos for the most part, trying to get around. And, and it, it should have only been like a five-minute drive for us to go to the Sphere. Because one night we had tickets to go to the to the Sphere, and it just it took more like 25 minutes to get there, which should have been a five-minute drive. Um, over it, the sphere is really cool, by the way. Uh, obviously, on the outside, we've seen the the different images they do on the outside. Well, on the inside, it's pretty cool too. They showed a fantasy nature type movie thing. It, it was neat. Um, uh, the the steps in there are so steep. We had we had tickets up on the on the top of this thing. So imagine you're in a, an arena, and you know how you, the higher you go, you have some some fairly steep steps. These were three times as steep as those. I'm mean, really, really steep steps I mean, to the point where you, you get nervous walking down the stairs any faster than just one step at a time. And you, you feel like if you're going to, if, if you fall, you, you are going all the way down to the ground. I don't know, like a 200 feet down to the ground. You're way up there. Um, but it was really neat. The, the sphere was pretty cool. Uh, we saw blue man group. Of course, that's fun over there at the Luxor. We saw uh, the magician uh, Nathan Burton, not Lance Burton. This must be uh, the other Burton, Nathan. I think we paid 20 bucks a ticket. Well, my, my little nephews, they, they love the magic, and they wanted to go see a magic show. We didn't want to pay a lot for a magic show, apparently. We paid like 20 bucks for the ticket, and I think we overpaid. <laughs> it's, it, all right, let, let, me, let me tell you this way. It's never good when they do the, elev, the, the levitation illusion. Where the, where the lady is supposed to be uh, yeah, floating above the table, but you can see the platform holding her up. Um, yeah, it, it was it was pretty cheesy, uh, but anyway, the, the the kids loved it and they didn't they didn't care. Uh, and it it was fine. Uh, I was still surprised though about how many people are smoking in casinos. I, I guess you'll probably never see a non-smoking casino. I, I don't smoke. I, I, I think it would be nice to have a non-smoking casino or at least non-smoking areas, but um, like they do at the airport where it's a non-smoking building and then they have to have separate rooms for smoking stuff, and that's fine. But anyway, sp speaking of smoking stuff, that's what you could smell more than anything um, was all of the pot smell, um, whether smoking or not smoking or whatever. But it, you, it, was, it was prominent uh, while you're walking from place to place when you're outside. Uh, my one regret that I didn't do was that Elon Musk tunnel, the, the boring company tunnel, um, with the Teslas driving through there. I really wanted to do that. I, I, I wanted to see how it works, but I, I never got, got the opportunity. Nobody really cared but me to do it, and we had all those shows that we were going to every single night, and we were there for you know the, the three or four nights. Um, and as, but so I wanted to do it. And then they, they also wanted to see all the different hotels and, and the different things. And, and so we, I, I never got the, maybe next time. Um, oh, <laughs> by the way, back home. Uh, and when we, so we get to the airport when we're coming home and it's a uh, Saturday morning and we're waiting there and it's maybe 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. And there's this guy who comes over to the trash can, maybe 20 feet away from us. And he starts to barf. I mean, not just, I mean, really major barf. <laughs> it was not good. Wife is, you know, she's like, oh, you got to have to move. And, and then he goes back over to the corner by the window and lays down. 15 minutes later, he gets up, he barfs again. And this happens on and off for the next hour or so when we're about to get on the plane. So the way they say, uh, sat us, they, they put uh, my wife and oldest daughter together, and they put me and my younger daughter together. 
and, and we were separated by several rows, which and that was fine. They're old enough where we don't all have to sit together now. Uh, so my my younger daughter and I are, are near the back of the plane, and here comes the barfer. The barfer gets on the plane and sits one row up and over to the other side of the aisle in the middle seat. And and two not not maybe not even two minutes after he sits down, he pulls out a plastic bag that he was holding and he barfs again. <laughs> well, the lady, imagine you get this lady in the aisle seat. She jumps up like her butt's on fire, freaks out, puts on her mask, gets the flight attendant, uh, and that was the end of that guy. Uh, th- then there was somebody else that was ratting him out, saying he was puking in the airport. He was puking, so the the flight attendant comes over. He gets kicked off, and then, <laughs> and then not minutes later, some other guy, maybe five or six rows ahead of us. With this huge dollar sign neck chain, he gets on the airplane, he sits down in his seat, and then he cracks open a beer that he brought on board, from the, maybe from the airport, I don't know, but he brought it on board and, and cracks it open. Well, the flight attendants weren't going to have any of that, so they kicked him off the airplane too. So we were delayed by a little bit while we were dealing with the puker and the, and the, and the drinker. Uh, so that that was quite the excitement on the way back home, uh, but then the flight was as normal as could be. We uh, got back home and all was well. Will, will I go back to Vegas? Uh, I don't know. Probably not for a while. Uh, I, I you know I think I've outgrown a lot of that. Uh, the, the the I don't know. I, I think I've outgrown a, a lot of of what Vegas has to offer. I I, I played slot machine for about 10 minutes waiting for uh, dinner one night. I was down to like $40. It was a hundred. It was a dollar machine. Put in a hundred bucks, got down to $40, then hit a 50, 50 something or 60. So we got back up and I was at $97. So I cashed up. And my youngest daughter was, was standing near me because she wanted to see the whole thing work. And then I cashed it out. I took my uh, $97 and we walked by a, 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 a blackjack table. And I said, all right, here you go. And here's, here's 25 bucks. It was a 25 minimum table, so I put $25 cash. Uh, they they give me uh, an ace and a three. Dealer showing a six. And I say, well, then I'm going to double it. So I double it. I get the eight. Boom. I'm golden. And then the dealer busts. And so there's 50 bucks. So I, I'm up $47 on the trip, and I couldn't have been happier because it paid for half of the uh, half of the dinner. God, uh, by the way, dinners are really expensive. All the food. All the everything is expensive in Las Vegas, ridiculously expensive there. So, will I go back? I don't know. Uh, it's just not the same vibe it used to be even 15 years ago. Um, I, I'm sure my age has something to do with it, but anyway, I, that, I thought you would enjoy at least that recap of uh, part of the trip there uh, to Las Vegas. But the plane ride gives me the opportunity to do some reading that I don't always have time for. I, I read an article that talked about. Paris and how they're seeing a new kind of road rage, bike lane traffic jams. So Dateline Paris, ring ring, it's rush hour on Paris's Sebastopol Boulevard and the congestion is severe. Not just gas guzzling, pollution spewing, honk whoring snarls, but also quieter and greener bottlenecks of cyclists jockeying for space. Uh, I thought that was reporting was supposed to be non-biased. That is not a non-biased sentence right there. <laughs> I wonder I wonder what the political beliefs of this air quotes reporter is. If you can't be objective, then don't be a reporter. I heard a story the other day on the BBC saying uh, they were going to speak with a journalist and activist, blah, 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 whatever they said. You can't be an objective journalist 
and also be an activist at the same time. You're either a journalist or you're an activist. And it's funny because I was reporting on this story, maybe it was last week or the week before, where there was a severe crash over in Aurora. And I was talking about how on my Twitter feed, I was talking about the crash and and, and somebody cherry picked one of the tweets that I sent out. And I said, the, the, the like the delays are severe here and you can take these alternate routes and blah, blah, blah. And this person said how... Uh, it's pretty typical. You can see where the where where this traffic guy is because he only cares about the delays and not the carnage that happened in this crash. And, and I was telling her this this lady uh, about no, it, it's part of the story. Part of the story is the wreck. Part of the story are the people who were hurt in this wreck. Part of the story is the road is closed and the people that usually try to get into this area. Uh, are going to be delayed and need a way to get around it. And that includes uh, the buses that were using this major road and the people who use those buses, the transit riders, who were going to be delayed or needed to find a different bus stop to pick up their bus because the road was closed. So, but but she, and, and then I come to find out that uh, as, as she's going back and forth with me saying, no, I, I'm, she was calling me opinionated uh, because I didn't say that roads are designed uh, for maximum carnage and to kill people. Uh, I said, no, uh, th- that's your opinion. And you can say your opinion as much as you want. You're a private citizen, but I am giving you the facts. The facts were, here's the crash. I don't know how many people were hurt and all these different things that were happening as facts. And I told her, I am a journalist, a pure journalist giving you facts, period. If I'm giving you opinions as if, well, it was the road design that caused, then I'm speculating and that's not what I was going to do. And it comes to find when I I looked at her Twitter feed that she had lost her son, 18 year old son in a horrible crash where he was killed and she was hurt. But she then is not a, uh, objective person in any kind of a crash scenario. She is now an advocate for different road design and speed control. And all, and that's fine. She can be that. But for, for her to call me uh, 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 biased because I wasn't saying all these things that she wanted me to say and just giving the facts is, is completely out, out of, well, um, anyway. So it, it bugs me when, when reporters, air quotes here, or a journalist, if somebody calls himself a journalist, will actually say something like uh, gas-guzzling, pollution-spewing, horn-honking snarls. That is not biased. That's not anti or, or non-biased reporting. Obviously, this person has a bias against vehicles because then he says, quieter and greener bottlenecks of cyclists. So already putting bicyclists and bike riders ahead of car drivers, not knowing why somebody might be driving a car compared to riding a bike. Um, but that, that's a journal active, an activist journalist. And you see a lot more of that nowadays because there's a, a blurred line there, especially because of the cable shows call themselves journalists, but really they're activists or they are opinionated journalists but that it should also, and that's bleeding off into other journalism and, and news commentary. And so that, that anyway, it bugs me. So, 
This is uh, and is this was written uh, as an uh, as a by a by a, a journalist. I, I don't even know his name, uh, but it was written in the Associated Press. So they they tend to lean more opinionated than uh, let's say other publications. So anyway, back to the article. Until four years ago, motorists largely had the Paris thoroughfare to themselves. Now it's bike lane jams speaking to a cycling revolution that is reshaping the capital of France long a country of car lovers. This revolution, like others, is also proving choppy. A nearly decade-long drive by socialist mayor Anne Hidalgo to turn Paris from a city hostile for cyclists, except those racing the Tour de France, into one where they venture more safely and freely has become so transformative that bikes are steadily muscling aside motor vehicles and increasingly getting into each other's way. And more bike lanes are coming for next year's Paris Olympics, part of an effort to have half or, you know, to cut in half, the event's carbon footprint. Already on some Paris boulevards, bikes outnumber cars at peak times. Cycle congestion, with wheel-to-wheel lines of riders ringing their bells and sometimes losing their cool, is becoming a headache. It's the same feeling as the one I had when I was younger with my parents driving their car, and it was like traffic jams all over the place. So now it's really a bike traffic jam, said a spokesperson for the Federation of Bicycle Users. But it's kind of a good difficulty to have, especially when we think about what Paris used to be. From a measly 200 kilometers or 125 miles in 2001, cyclists now have more than 1,000 kilometers of tailor-made bike paths and marked routes to Rome, City Hall says. Motor vehicles have been barred entirely from some roads, most notably the River Seine embankment that used to be a busy highway. It's become a central Paris haven for cyclists, runners, families, and romantics since Hidalgo closed it to motor traffic in 2016. Farther north, the twin lane bike path on Sebastopol Boulevard has become one of Europe's busiest since its inauguration in 2019. It saw a record 124,000 weekly users in early September, according to tracking by by a pro-bike group. Traffic there now regularly surpasses London's busiest cycleways, and and at its busiest, even approaches the numbers of popular cycle routes in Amsterdam. That is the dream of all bike people. Uh, for a- in the United States and Europe, wherever Amsterdam is always a city that they uh, uh, want to achieve. North-South Sebastopol empties into another busy east-west route that passes the Louvre. It also saw record daily and weekly numbers in September. Add to the mix none too thrilled motorists, scooters wiggling through traffic, pedestrians trying to not get squished in construction that seems to have popped up almost everywhere in Paris. Paris's sprint to the Olympics and negotiating the busiest streets by bike can feel akin to playing Mario Kart, but with real life dangers and consequences. Many cyclists see uh, some clearly new and still feeling their way around seem to think red lights and road rules don't apply to them. Paris's removal of four higher electric scooters following a city referendum in April is also driving some ex users to biking. Paris has become unlivable. No one can stand each other, a bike rider said as he wound his way past whistling, blowing traffic officers and yelling motorists on Concord Plaza. A former motor scooter and public transporter user, the retiree switched to cycling during the COVID-19 pandemic and has kept up the habit. He uses Paris's bike sharing system 
in its 16th year to get around for 80% of his trips. Everyone behaves selfishly, he grumbled. The traffic is a lot worse than it was. That said, he and others can't dispute that flows of bikes are better for health and the environment than the noxious pollution that still often blankets Paris. Wow. That's another beauty of biased sentences. <laughs> if he attributes that to a person or an organization, fine. But he didn't. He wrote that as a quote-unquote, again, air quote, reporter. Anyway, the AP story continues. In a landmark decision, a Paris court in June awarded 5,000 euros in compensation to two families with children who were sickened by air pollution, suffering from asthma and other health issues when they lived near the capital's car-choked ring road. The court ruled the French state was at fault. France's government blames atmospheric pollution for 48,000 premature deaths nationwide per year. Mayor Hidalgo cites pollution as a prime motivation for her drive to increase bike use, squeeze out emission-spewing vehicles, and make a Paris that breathes. Re-elected in 2020, her second five-year bike plan budgets 250 million euros in additional investments by 2026. That's 100 million euros more than on her first-term bike plan, most of it earmarked for more cycling routes, and parking. City Hall says all Olympic venues in the city will be bike accessible for the July 26th to August 11th Paris Games on a 60-kilometer cycle network. So <laughs> if you build it, they will come, and when they do, people will still whine and moan about traffic jams, whether it's on a bike or a scooter or in a car or whatever it is. However they're getting around, they don't like it when other people are doing it just like they are. Yay! <laughs> oh, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, another interesting article I read was about the body shop repair issues with some EVs. If you've ever had a repair done on, on any car, it's expensive, right? Parts are hard to find. Uh, repairs usually take longer than expected. For, for the owners of specialized cars, let's say you have a Rivian, those repair costs can be eye-watering. There, there's a recent video. I, I saw it on YouTube. It's a Florida-based paintless dent, dent repair specialist. He goes by the Dent Slayer, and it shows how he repairs a dent in the backside of a Rivian. And the owner was originally quoted to repair the Rivian by a, a repair shop, quoted $40,000 to repair that one dent. Another Rivian owner had a similar issue and he was facing a $42,000 repair bill for fixing his truck. And these expensive repair costs are, are a result of, of the design of these trucks. Because they look sleek, they look cool, but what happens is that these trucks also are complicated when it comes to repairing them if they get into a collision. See, the problem is the quarter panel is tied to the cab of the truck. It goes all the way across the roof of the vehicle, right? All the way to the rear side mirror. So in order to replace, let's say the rear panel, it has to be cut off. The back glass has to be taken out. The, the roof has to be taken out. The windshield, the battery pack all has to be removed. There's a lot of disassembly that has to occur in order for it to get fixed in the conventional way at a traditional body shop. And, and that, that's why the costs are so uh, astounding. And, and that's why you have a, a dent 
repair place that will try to fix it in different ways at a much lower cost, even though it's not going to be perfect because you're not replacing the part. There, there is an assembly technique called giga casting, and it helps speed up the process a little bit because, see, the way these these trucks and 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 other cars are made, there's assembly technique called giga casting, and it does speed up the process of creating a vehicle because they don't have a lot of joints that are welded together and, and they, and they make really just big, large components of the car, uh, 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 out of a single casting and then put that together instead of putting little pieces together and then welding them together. But the downside uh, of such a method is that any damage to these components can result in major repair costs. It, it's a, it, you've seen Tesla owners complain about it a, a lot. And so if, if you're going to be buying a Tesla or a Rivian or any of these other specialty vehicles, just know that it, it could cost a whole ton to get it repaired, especially even for little minor things, uh, let alone big things. So uh, just know that if you're going to be buying one of those kind of cars. Oh, yeah. And, and, and finally, from the DYC mailbag, it was Justin from Golden who wrote to me recently saying, what's driving you crazy? A lot of vehicles, mostly large trucks and service vehicles, have stickers on them that say something to the effect of stay X number of feet behind, not responsible for broken windshields. Do these stickers or signs have any legal standing? If my windshield is broken because of an unsecured material flying off of somebody else's vehicle, are they truly not responsible just because they have the sticker? Well, the sides of our highway, Justin, are littered with debris that have fallen out of moving vehicles. That sign that you see in the back of mostly gravel hauling trucks does not remove the driver or the vehicle owner's liability if your vehicle is damaged by something that falls out. When a driver of a large truck like that doesn't secure their load properly, and that stuff, whether it be a mattress or a couch or, or even a rock, comes out of their vehicle and hits another, the Colorado State Patrol considers that a crash. Just like after a conventional crash, that incident would need to be reported to local law enforcement. Michael Laszlo from Laszlo Law in Boulder said these signs have zero legal effect. He says, quote, if I wear a T-shirt that says not responsible for punching you in the face and I walk up and punch you in the face, am I responsible for your broken nose? The simple fact is that we are all responsible for the damage we intentionally or negligently cause to others. The Colorado State Patrol concurs, saying any sign on the back of a truck is not a legal binding way to get out of responsibility, saying if something comes out of a vehicle and that something causes damage, that sign is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. They are still responsible and liable for that damage. And even though the sign does not limit the driver's uh, or company's liability, it's a good warning that if you can read it, you're probably too close and it's probably better to back off a little bit. Unfortunately, a lot of drivers who drop something out of their vehicle, including gravel, usually don't realize it, and they suggest, the state troopers do, that you should try to get as much information as possible about the vehicle that lost the load, including a description of the vehicle, description of the driver, license plate number, DOT number from a truck if that's possible, and it also really helps to have either phone camera or dash camera video. He's, they, they, they say that all that information will help in the investigation, especially if any insurance claims are made. Uh, in, uh, Attorney Laszlo said proving where the item came from could be challenging and giving the low cost of a new windshield and the likelihood that insurance would cover that cost, the effort to prove your case in court generally isn't uh, appealing. 
Uh, depending on the situation, drivers who lose a load could be charged with a violation if they fail to cover and lo- the load properly, and it does spill on the highway. State Patrol told me the fines could be as low as $35 or as high as 131 plus points on the license, depending on the situation. The offender could even get a citation for, li- for littering at the very least. Uh, the State Patrol says the consequences of a spilled load are magnified if somebody gets hurt. Now, the situation is different if something like a rock or other debris is already on the road and then it's kicked up by the vehicle in front of you. In that situation where your vehicle is damaged, the State Patrol tells me you're basically out of luck. And he says that the, they say they told me that the, the, the chances are pretty good that you've probably unknowingly damaged somebody else's property in that same exact way. So there you go, Justin. Nope, those signs do not have any legal standing. And uh, if something does happen or fall out, then try to get as much information as you can, report it to law enforcement, and report it to your insurance company and see what happens. Uh, if you ever have a question, a comment, a concern, you can always write to me uh, on the Driving You Crazy page of Denver7.com. You go to Denver7.com. On the left side menu, you'll see a uh, it says traffic. And you can click that, and on the top of the screen, it'll say Driving You Crazy. You click there, and you can see all the Driving You Crazy stories, and you can contact me there with your Driving You Crazy story. Uh, anyway, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>